Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am Peter Englert. I am here with Chris Heaslip. Uh, he is from Leader, L-E-A-D-R. Um, and we're continuing our series on work. And we know that many of you have a passion and you feel that you were created and wired uh, for the career that you're in, but there's a lot of stress that comes with that. And I think today's question is probably something that every one of us has wrestled with in some way or another. We might land at different spots, but the question from Chris today is, why should I work for myself or someone else? Now, when I was practicing, I was about to botch this up to say that you know, you started 40 organizations when you were uh, 15, but it's the other way around. <laughs> um, Chris has started 15 organizations, and uh, by the time he turned 40, I think that's the number right. So, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, now that we know that about you, why don't you just share a little bit of your story and your current role and how you got to where you got today? Sounds good. I'm actually from a, a single parent household um, from New Zealand originally, in case you can't tell from my, my funny accent. I've heard, you know, you're from Australia, South Africa. I mean, I've heard all of the different options, but originally from New Zealand and I grew up with a single mother and um, I came home one day from school and I said that I wanted to uh, be a, a pastor when I grew up. And she said, you know, hey, why don't you go and get a, a job and a vocational job first before you go into the ministry, um, I guess, you know, growing up in a single parent household like that, you know, made her kind of say, look, you know, you have to be able to earn a decent amount of money and, uh, you know, you want to be able to be a blessing in ministry. And so I, um, I said, well, what do you think I should be, mom? And she said, well, you should be an accountant because you're good at maths. And I didn't know what an accountant was. And so from the time that I was eight years old, I had a single goal to be an accountant when I grew up. And I grew up in this kind of rural area and there was no accounting teachers at the school. So I was in, ended up doing uh, learning accounting or teaching myself accounting from textbooks because there weren't any teachers to teach me. And so after uh, going through university and working for some big firms, really felt like uh, God called me out of that and asked me to uh, start my own accounting practice, uh, which I did for a while. And then after about six years of that, uh, I met my business partner, Elliot, and we started uh, PushPay together, uh, which obviously does you know mobile giving for churches. And uh, PushPay just really grew incredibly quickly uh, from the time I moved to the States in 2014 to the time that I finished in 2019. We, we hired about 400 people in, in just a really short space of in about five years. So uh, it was just a, a real rocket ship journey. And then um, one of the biggest challenges that we always faced was this kind of conundrum of do you promote from internally or do you try and hire people from the outside? And I think looking back now, uh, we actually hired about 19 executives from you know the Microsoft, the Googles, the Facebooks. All of the kind of people that, uh, you know, especially churches and, and large organizations want to be able to hire. And we batted, you know, if I looked at who who actually lasted over two years, we went like 0 for 19. Not a single big company person actually made it to be on the two-year market push pay. And 
uh, as a result of that, I just really started thinking, you know what we have to do? We have to really, you know, develop our own people from within and promote them. And that really is the heart behind Leader, which is, you know, what I'm working on now is how do we help organizations and ministries develop people? Because developing people, you're going to get better quality people. They're going to be more culture and mission aligned. And ultimately, they're going to, you know, stick around for longer versus trying to get someone who's got that big company resume. They sound good on paper, but ultimately, they, they just generally don't work out because they've learned how to do things in a 40,000 person company, which don't apply to a small organization. Wow, that's that's really powerful. There's a lot there. I want to come back to a few things, especially related to this question. But the first thing I, I want to do is I want to come back to your mother saying that you're going to be an accountant and then um, you not having any support and just reading textbooks and figuring it out on your own. Do you think, uh, this is nature nurture, do you think that maybe you were wired more for entrepreneurship or was that experience a defining moment in your life that looking back that really set you on a course? My, my personal view is that um, leaders and, and talents and skills uh, are mostly developed through over time. Um, I think that, you know, we, we exhibit certain uh, tendencies and, and things that kind of help us get that initial head start. And then a lot of what happens is those little advantages or head starts that you have end up compounding over a very long time. And so I think when people say the word talent or gifts, you know, obviously people have gifts and talents, but if you, if you take that initial gifting and you refine it over and over, of course, you know, 10 years, 20 years later, is going to look completely different and it's going to look like, you know, this person was just born with this gift when actually there was so much hard work that went in behind the scenes that most people don't see to develop that. So I think um, whether it's children or whether it's, you know, just trying to choose which career to go down, that um, choosing a pathway and, and the hard work of developing actually is, uh, more beneficial than saying, I just have this unique gift for this particular thing. No, that's super helpful. So let, let's come back to your story. 15 companies before you're 40 years old. Um, what were the wins? What were the losses? You know, what was, you know, what was that like, um, you know, to do that? Yeah. One of the things I've always been passionate about is how to bring this idea of mission and purpose into uh, work and we can get into this a little more but I think oftentimes we have you know what we think of as secular roles and we we kind of imply through our language or sometimes just through the way that we talk about it as if you know that role is not you know ministry full stop and so my real heart and passion is actually that your work is your ministry and I don't think that there's a difference between, you know, the, the job you have and, and a calling and, and kind of ministry as, as a broader topic. And, and so the first business I started, I was still in university and we had this idea of, you know, back in the old days with compact discs, what if we could import these compact discs and sell them at uh, secular, you know, big box retailers in New Zealand? 
um, because I'd come to the States and I'd seen that in Walmart and Target, you could buy Christian music, but in New Zealand, it was not available. And you would have to go to these old Christian bookstores and they were just in, you know, random places and they smelled like they hadn't been vacuumed for 20 years. And, and so it was just not a great consumer experience. What if, you know, we could actually bring Christian music, worship music to be available at the same places that you shop for other things. And so we, we started that as, you know, a teenager and it was actually really successful for a time. But then ultimately that big box retailer went around us to our suppliers and cut us out of the loop. And so the, the business was over before it kind of started. But, you know, that idea of bringing the mission and the heart and the passion and the making a difference into a, a job, you know, was something that I, I guess I experienced and I never wanted to, you know, just say, well, this is a role, this is a vocation that actually has got no mission to it. It's critical that those two things are actually knitted together. Mm. Well, so, you know, with... Uh give us the span of the 15 companies. So you just shared one, which was, um, you know, taking music, uh, to New Zealand, you know, give us an idea. I mean, were you, you know, selling snow to Eskimos, you know, where, you know, what were you doing? And again, it, I'm hearing even from you, your heart, which is, you know, these are, you know, finance and ministry and faith are really, so whatever I do, it seems like you've had a focus, but give us just a little taste of the 15 companies you've been a part of starting. Yeah, I mean, just a few, after that, we, we tried doing websites and, you know, web hosting um, and was still a very, you know, kind of mission-driven organization. Um, in 2005, I think it was, we I had this idea for a credit card uh, because of course you, you know, spend money, you get these points, what if instead of getting another toaster, you could actually donate those points to a charity? And so imagine, you know, a big World Vision or something, you know, this charity that you care passionately about, you could get a World Vision credit card and instead of getting a new toaster every other month or, you know, airline miles, <clears throat> you could actually uh, use those points to sponsor a child. And we had this idea, we took it to the banks in New Zealand, um, and they, unfortunately, they, did, they didn't bite on it. They said, you know, we think that people, you know, will have multiple credit cards and ultimately they would prefer to have a toaster than, a, uh, than, than sponsoring a child. And I mean, it was, it was heartbreaking because we really felt like the mission of the, the business was going to be enough and the banks just couldn't see how to make money from it. Um, we, I had another business after that that was... Um, you know, in the packaging space, you know, maybe less mission oriented um, and, uh, and you know, more learned a lot about IP and, you know, intellectual property and how to protect that. But you know what's amazing when I look back now uh, from starting Pushpay, you know, every single one of these businesses had something that actually was a huge uh, benefit to starting Pushpay. So if you think about this, you know, the first business was actually, you know, working with churches and engaging them in conjunction with, you know, selling, selling music. Um, the second business was in, you know, websites and, and recurring revenue businesses like that. You know, the, I learned more about, you know, starting a startup in, in the credit card industry uh, than I could have read in a thousand books. Um, 
and then in terms of intellectual property and you add all of that together and you know those things were like huge advantages when I actually got into Pushpay because they had this kind of reservoir experiences of these different experiences that added up that actually meant that when we started that business that I was five steps further ahead than if I hadn't have ever had those experiences and so I think God uses the failures that you have to actually help propel you into you know the calling that you have for your life and uh, at the time it didn't feel like uh, I was learning anything or I was progressing but looking now I, I each one of those things was completely uh, prov- providential almost I, I want to come back to something that you said you know you've kind of you know walked us through the 15 um, you talked about your transition from push bay to leader um, you know just full disclosure Browncroft isn't making any money from Push Bay or Leader, but we are customers of both of them. Um, you know, we love these companies. And, um, you know, walk us through as you were starting Leader, because you made you made this comment that I, I think is so powerful to this question. You know, when should I work for myself versus someone else? You know, you said, you know, we hired 19 outside employees and zero of them stayed past for two years. You know, so I, I think the tension that probably our listeners are going through is, I see this problem, what should I do to stay in the organization to help it versus maybe I can be more helpful to the organization if I leave and do something else. Walk us through your decision process to do that because I think that'll be helpful. Absolutely. I think that when we look at companies, we say, well, you know, a 400 person technology company is actually very similar to a 40,000 person technology company. And I think the the kind of mental error and assumption there is that it's the same thing, just bigger. When in reality, when you go from, say, 40 people to 400 and then to 40,000 at each step along the way, the organization is actually almost nothing alike from, uh, you know, a 10x order of magnitude shift in either direction. And so if you just, if you kind of think about this a little bit at 40 people, um, you know, basically you have no centralized services as, you know, a, a senior leader somewhere in that organization at 40 people, you probably wear multiple hats. Um, you probably don't have a lot of support staff. You probably have very little you know, HR support and legal support and all of these centralized services, or if you now zoom out to an organization of 40,000 people and that organization, you know, someone is setting a policy that then gets kind of rolled out across the whole entire organization that people are expected to follow. And so someone who's great at 40 people, uh, you know, might be someone who has just, you know, proclivity to go make things happen Maybe they kind of, you know, upset a few people a little bit, but they, you know, generally just have this real focus on making things happen. Whereas in a large organization, there's a premium for people who are actually really good team players and who don't want to upset the apple cart because large organizations are much more focused on alignment and uh, policy than they are on this kind of just raw execution. And so I think that there's there's different skills that actually help in either of these different organizations that actually, it's not one is better or worse, they're just different. And I think the key thing to understand is which one has God blessed you with 
and where do you fit the best? And so I think when we were trying to bring these people from 40,000 person organizations, and these were, you know, absolutely brilliant people, but they were used to being so specialized and having so much support that this transition was very, very difficult for them to come to a small organization. And so I think for your listeners, both as employees, if you think about where do I fit the best based on the skills that I have, and for people looking to employ staff, it's actually better to find someone, this is this is just a suggestion now, but it's better to find someone from a completely unrelated field at a similar size than it is to try and find someone from a, in our case, a technology business, but that was 100x bigger or 10x bigger. Those people generally just don't fit because they're not used to operating in the space and the environment that your organization is currently in. So let me just kind of play back. I'm, I'm a sports person. Um, you know, so I think what I hear you saying is, um, let's use, um, I'll use a, a soccer, for example. Um, I should probably use, um, why am I blanking on New Zealand? Rugby. Rugby, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm blanking on rugby, the spring box of, so um, actually maybe NFL football is a little bit better. You you live in the Houston area, but you would say it's almost better for a college football team to hire a defensive back coach to be a defensive coordinator at a college level than it would be to hire an NFL defensive coordinator to a college defensive coordinator because just the different resources and and things like that and for rugby i think it's similar you know you have a professional and then maybe you have the level below but basically what you're saying is it it's better to look for someone at the same level if you have to sacrifice experience versus trying to hire someone from a larger organization to go smaller is that what i hear you saying a hundred percent i mean the way that i think about this is really about what are the competencies that you're looking for so um, let's, let's take it like this. Uh, you know, Tesla and Ford are both car companies. But if you think about the competencies or the things that they do, they're actually completely different. Ford's, the thing that's best in the world at is, you know, mass manufacturing, mass advertising, a dealer network, and, you know, a car that is, you know, reasonably cost-effective that can work for, you know, millions of people if you take tesla on the other hand what are the things that make tesla unique it's software self-driving batteries and selling direct to customers so here you've got these two organizations that look exactly the same on the surface and yet when you start to unpack them they actually are completely different and they have very little in common and so if we now take this to your analogy of the football uh, the different football leagues. Let's say a college uh, coach or coordinator, um, the things that are really important is talent evaluation and uh, recruiting, right? You've got, to, you've got to get in your car, you've got to pound the pavement, you've got to go out there and recruit the best uh, people that you can recruit from high school. And they've got to, you've got to recruit them to come to your organization. Whereas in the NFL, you don't need to have this ability to recruit college players 
because you're competing based on how much I can pay you. And, um, and you've got, you know, larger staffs, you've got, so, so the competencies are actually different. And so the question that you often say is, well, why don't, why doesn't someone who worked in college football work in the NFL? And the answer is because a lot of the skills and the competencies that have developed, they don't translate. You don't need to recruit players uh, in the NFL. At least it's not the, the most defining thing. And then on conversely, uh, in the NFL, you know, general managers often, you know, make the personnel decisions. Your job is to deal with these really highly pay, played players and they um, they have really, you know, big egos. Whereas in college, you know, that's not the case. And so it looks like exactly the same thing. We're just coaching. We're coaching football. But actually, when you unpack it, they're completely different. And actually, it's not as similar as you might think it to be. So uh, I, you know, what's so powerful about this question, even this exercise that we're doing right now, is you're providing people clarity to this question. Why should I work for myself versus someone else? You're saying, hey, before you think that you're going to the same company, like you need to unpack their values. You need to unpack, you know, where they are. Like, is this Ford a long-term company or is this Tesla who's, who's recent? And let, let's just make this assumption for just a second. So when should I work for myself? Let's not only say that that's entrepreneurship, but let's also say aspirations to be a CEO or to be a significant leader that's leading yourself versus someone else. Would, would you say that working for myself tends to be people that are masters of one or jack of all trades and someone else because you talked about that being in a larger organization, being more specialized. How do you kind of see that? Like, because there's, there's CEOs that they are visionary leaders. And I say this with all grace and truth, that's about it. Um, and then there's other people that they're probably in 40,000 person companies and they just go where the need is because they're jack of all trades. Do you see some similarities in that? And how would you help our listen, listeners kind of say, am I a jack of all trade? Am I a master of something? And does that matter to this question? I think it's a, it's a phenomenal question. Um, there's a, a quote that I heard somewhere and it was, um, if you want to go far, go together. But if you want to go fast, go alone. And I think when we start thinking about should I go and work in an organization or should I be uh, self-employed, I think this quote is really useful. If you want to build a, a world-changing, world-defining company, you, you have to do it through some type of organization with a group of people and, and a team. Um, but if you, if you, you know, sometimes the speed at which you can work is slowed down because you've got to go and build consensus with, you know, even if you have a team of six people, you have to go and talk to five other people and get them on board with where you're going and persuade them why what, what you're doing is the right thing to do. And so I think when we then start thinking about, okay, I'm trying trying to choose an organization to go and be part of what everyone just immediately defaults to is this idea of competency, both on the employer and the employee side. I have the skill set in marketing or whatever it is. You need someone in marketing, therefore we should work together. But there's there's kind of four C's that you really have to drill in on to understand 
if there's a fit between an individual and an organization. So one is the competency. Do they have a need for what you have? Second one is character. Third one is culture. And the final one is uh, chemistry. So when we try and think about do we want to uh, work with a team, we've got to look at how do I fit with the other members of the team. And I think uh, as someone looking for a role, you should be interviewing that organization as much as they're interviewing you because you want to know that you're going to be a great fit with the other members of the team because that's absolutely critical in, in achieving any kind of success. And then I think the other thing I would say is um, I've talked to a lot of people and, and even recruited people to come and be part of uh, one of my companies. And uh, I just don't think that you grow as fast when you're working for yourself. Because being in a team, you're going to receive a lot of feedback, hopefully. You, you should. And um, being in that environment where other people are going, you're being held accountable, uh, whether you want to or not, it's like we need you to do this part of the, of the role in order for the team to succeed. And then secondly, they're going to give you feedback whether you like it or not on, on all kinds of different aspects of your performance and it's very hard to get that as uh, someone who's working as a contractor. Um, and so especially early in, in your career, it's definitely better to be in, a, in some kind of team, however you create that, because you're going to grow much faster um, versus, you know, once you've developed a skill set, you know, it's much more possible to turn up, deliver some kind of value and then, you know, perhaps step back. Do you regret working for yourself when you were in your 20s or, you know, maybe regret's a strong word because you said that basically every experience brought you to that. But your last point that you just said was, um, you know, maybe I should have worked with more, uh, just worked for an organization. I don't know. I don't want to assume, but just I'm just kind of hearing this tension that maybe there's a little bit more thought there as you think about your story. Oh, 100%. I think that I would have learned and grown a lot faster if I was in a, um, in a, in a team of people trying to achieve the same goal. And, um, I remember reading in the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he had this quote that he said, never take a job for the money, always take a job for what you can learn. Mm. And that always kind of stuck with me. And so I, one of my early roles was at KPMG. Um, you know, the big accounting firm. Um, and I was there for just under a couple of years. And I just remember the amount of uh, energy and intentionality that they put into training and developing their staff. And it was even things like how to engage with a, um, a customer. How would you, as the, the junior accountant on the, the team, how would you engage with someone um, who's maybe far more senior than you, far more experienced than you, and they would do these role plays that were, you know, a potential conversation that you might be having and how to carry yourself. And, and so I, I think those kind of things and the time that I spent at KPMG were really formative because you, you learn these things that you don't even like, you just have this unconscious, unconscious incompetence. You don't even know that you don't know. And when you work for a large organization like that, they start telling you like how you carry yourself and how you engage with people is critical in the workplace. 
Um, and, and the fact that they put that energy and attention into training. I mean, I think there's a lesson there for every employer, you know, that you have to be training your staff. You have to be investing into them. Um, and the second part of it is the, as the employee, you have to be focusing on these kinds of things and how you develop yourself. And as you think about this decision, an organization that's going to invest in you and train you, especially if you're young, is by far the single best thing you can do for your career is to learn those things and learn what, you know, understand what it is that you don't know that you don't know. Wow, that's super practical. Um, so I'm going to use this as an example. You know, Rochester, New York, uh, I believe it's in the top five most patents per capita in the United States. So this is kind of the area that I live and breathe. Um, so there's a lot of smart people here. And I've heard it said that there's two types of engineers. There's an engineer where give me a blank room, a blank sheet of paper, tell me what the problem is. I'll come up with 20 different scenarios and that's fun. Then there's another engineer that, you know, I want to do the same thing every single day, repeatable, figure out what the problem is. And so one wants less structure to get to the problem. The other wants more structure. So in using that example, you know, what are signs that maybe I should work for myself versus someone else? You know, I could see that and push back on me. Maybe that's not a sign, but you know, you're sitting down and one of the things I appreciate from people from New Zealand and Australia is you just tell it like it is. If you were sitting down with someone who said, ah, you know, I want to work for an organization, you pop back, go, no, you don't. Um, versus someone that says, hey, I want to start my own business or I want to work. No, you don't. Like, what would be the signs that you pick out that you'd say, hey, this is, you know, these are some things that you should just identify. Maybe it's not tomorrow, but maybe it's in the few years. This is what you should look for. Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is, um, irrespective of what I'm about to say next, sometimes God puts things on your heart and it's a calling, it's a passion, and it's kind of like, I just have to do this thing, irrespective of what it looks like in the natural. And I've had that happen, you know, to me multiple times. Um, I mean, the start of Pushpay was like that. I, I just, I wasn't looking for another startup at the time. And Elliot turned up and said, I've got this idea, you know, we're going to help increase generosity in churches. And I said, that's something that I'm passionate about, irrespective of of the timing. And, and often it can be at the most inappropriate time that you're not even looking for something where God's like, hey, I want you to take this step. So I, I think it's worth saying that first because, um, you know, I've had people who are like, I'm a B2B guy and now I've got to go to B2C or something. And you just, you know, sometimes God leads you to a place where it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um but I, th I think that when we start looking at it in the natural, I think that if you have a proclivity to action, you like small teams, you like making things happen. Um, if you like, uh, you know, starting things, um, then I think you're much more suited to a startup type environment versus, you know, that the people who want that relatable, repeatable experience of like, I turn up, I know what I'm getting. Perhaps I don't have the same tolerance for risk then I think it's it's a much better place to be as in a larger organization. And can I say this too? I think that our culture has a, um, it really idolizes this idea of starting something. You know, the idea of Shark Tank, um, you know, where, where it's like we glorify people who start something. 
Um, in the same way that, you know, going to a wedding ceremony is really good, but it's really just the first step. You know, the next five years and 10 years are actually where the rubber hits the road. And I think as as a culture, you know, the stick of following through with something is uh, should be more valuable than that initial kind of like I turned up on day one and I got this thing started. And I think that um, if you if you start something, you have to really look at it and say, okay, I might be doing this for five years or longer. And do I have the, am I willing to pay the cost? And do I have the persistence to follow through with this? Because otherwise it's just this great idea that sounds good on paper. You know, startups sound really good on paper, but then when you start saying, okay, I've got to do 50, 60 hour weeks and how do I mix that in with my family? It, it becomes really hard. And I think the Bible has some really practical wisdom in that regard. There's, I think it's one of Jesus's parables. He says, um, you know, you should count the cost before you start out on something. Uh, and he tells a story of a man who has this idea to build a tower and, you know, he gets halfway through and he says, you know, he ran out of money. And the Bible says that people walk by and they mocked this guy who ran out of money because he didn't count the cost. And I just, I think that, you know, before we kind of say, right, I'm going to do a startup. I want to jump into something and, and take this idea that I have and turn it into something really big. We have to say, I've got to be willing to count the cost for that. And I think, you know, most people just are not supposed to even be the the people, the pioneers. Um, one of my good friends is a, a guy called Rick Holiday from North Point, And he, he tells me, he says, being a pioneer, it seems really glorious, but pioneers are the ones with the arrows in their backs. And, and, and that kind of is true. Like sometimes it's just as good to, you know, find a startup that's 100 people and join at that stage versus trying to get on board something that's super early because the bumpiness that goes with that can be unsettling and, and is just not for everyone. You know, I'll just get personal for a moment here. Um, you know, so I, I've always kind of assumed, you know, I want to be at Browncroft a long time. Obviously, I don't control that kind of the first thing. There could be an opportunity that comes up. Uh, but that's kind of my heart's desire. And where that comes from was, you know, I grew up going to a church where we had the same pastor for 22 years. And um, I talked with a pastor who used to pastor in kind of the same region. And he actually said, you know, he pastored for 38 years at the same church. He said, I had four different pastorships. And personally, and I don't want to throw this onto our listeners. I'm just hopefully modeling, trying to process what I feel like is the conversations you can have with people in an organization at seven years versus 14 years are night and day. And even for the way that I'm wired, like, and even as I look at this question, yeah, there could be a point that God says, Peter, you're crazy. Go plant a church. Just go do what I tell you to do. And he'll equip me and bring the right teams and stuff like that. But there's a part of my wiring that I've noticed that, Hey, you know, like there's something about pastoring to be involved in someone's life from what, before they get married to when they're grandparents, because there's certain trust and credibility. And especially where we live, you know, in upstate New York, where, you know, I grew up a block away from where IBM started and IBM left Endicott 
And there's something about this area that I'm like solely passionate about. I understand the lack of trust, but I also understand the moment that people trust you. Like they'll, you know, I, I've said it this way, you know, I used to have people when I had an idea that they'd say to me, that's a dumb idea. Like, don't do it. Now I have people say to me, because I've been at Browncroft for, I think it's going on seven or eight years. That's a dumb idea, but I'm willing to let you try it. And like, that's huge because of time. So I don't know, pushback. That's how I'm processing, even from what you said, even for our listeners to think about that. I, I mean, I can take that question in eight different ways. I think the, the first one is, you know, that, um, you know, being the CEO, the senior pastor, being the senior leader, you know, I mean, the, the ratio of how many people were supposed to do that versus want to do that is just out of whack. Like a lot of people, for every senior leader, you need eight people who want to be, you know, executives who help that person achieve their, their goal and their mission. And I think, again, in today's culture, we really elevate those people in those senior leadership positions and don't nearly talk enough about the people who are actually helping, you know, maybe they're, they're not that one person, but actually that one person needs a whole entire team, an army or whatever you want to call it to help bring their vision to reality. And for some reason, we don't talk en enough about that. And and so even just as as an executive, as a, you know, a C title, whatever you want to call it, we, we have to have far more people who are helping who have a, a heart to say, I want to help you bring your mission into reality. And that's my calling. Your calling is my calling. I want to plug into you. And I, I feel like there's a blessing that comes with um, the ability to understand this concept of authority and say, I want to be under authority. Um, and I want to submit my calling to your calling. And if I do that, then I feel like God is going to bless me in the process. And I, I you know, if you look at, uh, the story of the centurion, you know, God ties faith and, and understanding authority together in the Bible. And so I think we have to be very um, careful to understand that the calling that a person has comes with all of the pros and cons that go with it. And and there, there's people who have a gifting and, a, uh, and an anointing to help fulfill that person's vision. So I, I think... As a starting point, you know, um, sometimes we think, well, I, I, you know, the culture around me is telling me that I should want to do my own thing. Um, whereas I think it's sometimes way more fulfilling to be uh, engaged in helping fulfill someone else's mission. And it doesn't take nearly as much pressure and as much um, uh, out of you in order to do that. And, and so, for example, Matt, uh, who I worked with, um, he's the CEO of Leader, and and I feel like my calling is to help him grow Leader to be a very successful and large company. But even stepping from being a vice president at Pushpay to being a, a CEO, the pressure that he he's told me that he feels that he says to me, Chris, there's no one that I can delegate this decision to now. I have to actually make a decision. And I have to make so many decisions. They're coming at me so fast that it's it's completely different. Going from you know even being that you know VP level person to being a CEO, it's a very it's it's a huge step up. And I think you know you need eight people now to help him carry the load. 
Um, but also it's just, it's very lonely being a senior leader. And I think that uh, we should be very willing to count the cost and understand what you're asking for when you say, I want to be the senior leader in the organization. Are you willing for it to be lonely? Are you willing to make really hard decisions on personnel decisions, budget decisions? Are you willing to understand that you can't sometimes delegate those decisions? You're the person who has to carry that decision ultimately, whether it works out or not. Are you willing to set the tone and the pace of the organization, perhaps by being the first person to the office in the morning? And when you start to think about that, you say, wow, why would anyone ever want to do that? And I think at that point, you say, right now, I fully understand what it's going to take to be someone who's a pioneer carrying this vision forward. It's not the, uh, excuse the term, the glory when you're standing on the podium winning a medal. You know, that, that does not nearly even cover the amount of pressure and the cost that you have to pay to get there. And so I just, I think the very best leaders are ones who are driven by a passion to fix a wrong in the world that they have to right. Because if you're doing it for the money, it's not worth it. If you're doing it for the status, it's not worth it. The only reason to want to carry that burden is to help some group of people in the world, uh, you know, achieve and, and step into their destiny. Otherwise, the cost is just too great. It's, it's not worth that. It's not worth the cost that you personally have to pay. Wow, that was that was really good. I, I want to kind of close with two questions. One of my favorite things is, you know, if you're watching this, I have a laptop and I try to listen and see all the questions. You actually kind of answered all of them without a ton. And uh, that, that just makes for a great interview. And I also want to acknowledge, you know, Matt's interview, I think, was the second. So, I mean, this is good to... You said exactly what he said, which probably shares the health of an organization, just, you know, sharing with all those burdens. I want to shift just a little bit more spiritual because we've hinted at this. You know, at Browncroft, we use this term, know and use your gifts. And, you know, that's part of serving at the church, that's serving your neighbor, serving your organization. You know, we believe spiritual gifts are, you know, inborn gifts that God uses to work through you. As you think about working for someone else and working for yourself, as you think about starting 15 companies, what have you identified as your spiritual gifts and how has that kind of helped you career-wise or have you even? I, I think there's some um, personality tests that in the natural can help uncover, you know, things and traits that God has, um, has, has created you with. Um, whether that's Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders, I, I, I think there's a lot of value in those. And um, the number one predictor of whether an employee will leave an organization is the answer to this simple question. Have you had a chance to use your strengths to help the organization in the last 30 days? And if the answer to that is no, I think it's something like 85% of employees will leave the organization within three or four months or something like that. Um, and so as, as a leader of an organization, you have to be constantly asking that question. Uh, am I helping the people who are working for me to apply their giftings in this organization? Um, for me, uh, I feel like my strengths, especially coming out of uh, the season at Pushpay, is um, the idea of seeing 
opportunities and trying to strategize them and then some kind of, you know, activate a role to um, help other people lead and grow organizations. And I, I think the, uh, the thing that the world tells us is, you know, you know, you need to go and do this. You need to be the person doing it. And I just think sometimes we have to really uh, understand, you know, what the culture is driving us to do. And then sometimes our response needs to be the exact opposite. And so for me, you know, it would have been easy to step into another CEO role and say, I want, you know, I have this vision for leader. I want to help take it to the next level. And, and instead of doing that, I felt like my calling was to help someone else to, you know, birth this vision and to give it to them and say, Matt, like, I, I care about you and I want you to grow to be the leader that God's called you to be. And as obviously as a co-founding team, we're in it together, but Matt's really the person leading day to day. And it's, in some ways it's very countercultural because the obvious thing to do would be to say, I've done it. I'm more experienced. Let me run with the ball. And instead of that, I feel like it was about being generous and saying to him, I want you to step into this role and I want to help you grow and, and build this organization together. And that's, uh, it's hard because you have the mind monsters in the background saying, why would you do that? You know, you should be, you know, being more selfish and you should, you should want to do it. But I think that it's, it's the right thing to do. And so I, I think that, um, you can have giftings, but ultimately your character is the thing that will sustain you in the long term. And if you, if you don't have that relationship with God, if you don't hear what God's voice is telling you, and if when you hear that little still voice that tells you, hey, you know, the, the world and the culture is telling you something that's selfish, and I want you to do the opposite of that, that's your character then is going to prevent you from really achieving your destiny. So, I mean, just to kind of recap, I'm just going to have some fun with you. Totally agree character. You know, it sounds like in this season, you know, and this, again, spiritual gifts, they're, you know, in a sense, we believe that they're in the supernatural, but they have some tie to Enneagram and, um, you know, Myers-Briggs and all that and Working Genius by Pat Lencioni. But it sounds like, you know, if there were gifts that potentially you might be operating in this season... Um, and they may not be, it, it's kind of, you're in this discernment, what are the right opportunities, but you're also in a gift of service or helps where you're saying, you know what, I'm going to allow God's grace to grow through me by using my experience to help this organization, but also just, you know, I think I love the word activator. And I think that that's one of the strength or finders top one. Would, would you kind of recap it that way? 100%. I think that's exactly right. And I think, um, just generally, uh, again, our culture keeps telling us, you know, this, this, it elevates this idea of youth, uh, and it, and it says, this is the thing that you should chase. And I think the Bible actually says the exact opposite of that, which is there's a way to grow old gracefully. And, you know, look, I, you know, I'm I just turned 40 and, and, but I think the point is that, when we see a 70 year old trying to do 18 year old things, we say that just doesn't look right. And so I think that as we all age, 
And I, I think that God asks us to be fathers and mothers of the faith for other people. And you can be 25 and you can help, you know, disciple and grow people. When you can be 70 and you can help, hopefully you've got, you know, children, disciples and grandchildren, disciples at that point. But I think the model that God sets out for us to follow is a really powerful one. And I think that you, the strengths that you have, I think they get more refined over time. And I think that they get applied in just slightly different ways. And I think that we have to be really aware of when we feel like, okay, I've got to step in here. I've got to do it. I've got to solve. You gave, gave a great example before of, you know, letting people try something because they've earned the right to do that. Um, that's a very mature thing to do. As a leader, it's really hard to say, I want you to take on this project and try it and it might not work. And I have to be completely okay with that. That's a really mature response. And I think that we can encourage others to step into their destiny more as we as we uh, mature. And I think there's... At the end, when we look back and, you know, when we're 70, 80, whatever it is, we're going to look back and the only thing that matters in our career, the thing that gets me out of bed now is not, did I build a big company? Did I make a lot of money? Did I have a title? The thing that gets me out of bed is how did I help other people step into their destiny that God has called them to? That's, that's, it's the great command the great commandment, it's the great commission, it's the it's what you're supposed to do with your life is help other people. And when we understand that, all of the books that you read and all of the ideas and the, and the podcast, it all makes so much more sense that when you help other people, you ultimately win and you ultimately are trading in this different currency than just what the world trades in. And so I, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about that. <laughs> No, I, I love it. And, you know, what you just said there is kind of a great closing to our question. Uh, our last question, which is, what does Jesus have to say about working for myself or someone else? So I want you to hold your thoughts because I, I think you can close more with some of that. And I think you're ready with the answer to the question. But I, I just want to take a moment to just kind of respond to what we've talked about today in terms of, you know, because we have some listeners that um, probably have you know, they're, they're de-churched, unchurched, you know, they have doubts about faith. So here's my shot at the, and then I think even just kind of what you said, I think about this scene, you know, where Jesus is washing the disciples feet. And, you know, I, I lived in Springfield, Missouri. There's a huge uh, statue of this, which is so weird because we made a bronze statue of one of Jesus's serving moments because we value, like there's a lot of conundrums of what we value. And, you know, I think about this question, when should I work for myself versus someone else? I don't think that that story tips the hand on how to answer that question, but I think that there's two huge values that help guide you in that question. Number one is Jesus was aware of a need. And so when you become aware of a need, somebody needed to wash the disciples' feet. He was aware, you know, that's when he began, that's when you begin to say, hey, I'm aware that there's this issue. Should I, is the best way to deal with it by working for myself or someone else? But then the second thing was he was available. So not only was he aware, he didn't say, hey, someone else go do that, but he was available to do it. 
and even as I hear you talk, like at some point, what what brings faith into this conversation is what Rick Warren says in The Purpose Driven Life, it's not about me. And so at some point, sure, maybe you work better in an environment for yourself or for someone else, but with that availability and that awareness, um, there's something powerful that happens to be open to those opportunities. So that's how I'd close. What about yourself? I, I think that summary is spot on. I think you've just, you've summed up, you know, the last hour or so, you know, absolutely perfectly. I would just say, I think that we, and again, in today's culture, we talk a lot about careers and I think careers are overvalued. I think that callings are undervalued. And I think that if you understand your calling and you understand who who God made you to be and how God made you with the strengths that God made you, then this the answer to this question should be hopefully you know, pretty straightforward. Um, but sometimes, you know, we have to go on a journey in order to discover our calling. And I think that God gives us grace to, uh, to work it out sometimes um, because it's not such a, it's not always black and white and there's different seasons, but that, but that's right. If, if you understand that God's put a conviction on your heart to go and, and help a group of people somewhere solve some problem, whatever that might be, then uh, that might look like working for yourself or it might look like starting something or joining something to help other people. Chris, thank you so much for being uh, part of this series. Um, so you uh, you can find it at the Leader website. Is there any ways to get in touch with you on social media? Do you have a favorite platform? Twitter is my favorite. I'm just at Chris Heslip um, and would love to hear any feedback. Awesome. Hey, folks, the best way you can get in touch with uh, Why God Why is go to whygodwhypodcast.com. Subscribe to our email. You'll keep in touch. Uh, Thank you for joining us for this leader series. And uh, we have one more episode in this series. So we hope you enjoy that. Thank you so much.